At this time, I'm going to invite up our speaker for tonight. Uh, many of you guys know him because he leads worship like almost like every Friday fire. And uh, like every Sunday at Hillside. He is my roommate. For a long time, we slept in bunk beds. I had to embarrass him. I, I, but that season is done. We have our own rooms now. But we still have the bunk beds. <laughs> but yeah, that's all I'm going to say. It's not my time to preach. So I'm going to invite up Pastor John. Let's give him a hand. Yeah, we still do sleep in bunk beds, actually. Uh, unfortunately, but we do have our own rooms. Let's pray as we get into the word tonight. Father, we thank you. For your goodness, God, and your love, God, that you graciously lavish all over us, God. You are so good, God. You are lavishing your grace and your love on us, even now, God, even tonight in this place, God. You are so good. God, we ask that tonight, Lord, that you would awaken our hearts afresh. God, that you would give us to greater and greater degrees a spirit of wisdom and revelation, God, unto a knowledge of you, that you would help us to see, God. That you would help us to see, God. You would give us eyes of faith, Father. Eyes that see what is not seen in the natural, God. Open our eyes, God. More and more, give us insight and understanding, discerning and wise hearts, God. Thank you, Father. Yeah, fill this time with yourself, God. Fill this time with you, God. We love you. We set our hearts totally on you, God. We praise you, God. We ask these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so last Sunday, for those of you who are here, Pastor Christian preached another amazing sermon. Really good stuff. Were you guys blessed, those of you who were here? Yeah. So who remembers what it was? All right, good. Just making sure. Fight the good fight. And... As Pastor Christian was preaching this message, uh, one of the thoughts that immediately came to mind was, man, this is something that God has already been stirring in my heart. And I was already thinking, I might preach along these lines next Friday fire. <laughs> and he was kind of not really stealing the message that God had put in, his, in my heart. He wouldn't do that. Uh, but, um, but I started to wonder, should I actually preach along these lines since we just you know, had a message directed toward these things. What I felt that God was saying to me and reminding me of is that when those sorts of things happen, it probably means that he's highlighting something for the church. Like he wants to communicate something to us. He wants us to really get something. And so we're going to preach along those lines tonight. And fighting the good fight is something that I feel really challenged in. It's something that I feel, I felt a lot of conviction as Pastor Christian was preaching in different ways. And, and another thing that God's teaching me is that it's good to preach on areas of weakness. I like to preach on areas of strength, you know? I like to tell people areas in which I'm doing well and things that, you know, things that I'm, I'm doing okay at. But it's so important to preach and teach in areas that we wrestle with, in areas that we struggle with, 
in areas that we haven't arrived in. And um, yeah, I, I was actually, I was talking with my mom a couple of weeks ago. And uh, my mom started talking about New Philly podcasts. Uh, yeah, which is, my mom's probably listening to this right now, so I've got to be careful what I say. Uh, not now. She'll listen to it later when it's on podcast. But um, she started telling me about how much she loves Pastor Marcus's preaching. Yeah, my mom listens to Pastor Marcus's podcast, which is really cool. Like, my, my family has a pretty conservative background. They're pretty open. But, uh, you know, New Philly is, is kind of a, a jump for them. It was a jump for me when I first came into New Philly. And God's still moving me down this path of what's going on in this church. But uh, my mom kept emphasizing that she really liked Marcus's preaching. And... Uh, yeah, and I, so I had, asked, asked, I had to ask my mom, like, why, why do you like Marcus's preaching so much? What is it about Marcus, you know? And she's not saying anything about my preaching. She doesn't talk about my preaching. She just, it's okay. I know she listens. I know my mom loves me. Yeah. And, <laughs> and she was saying how, how Marcus and her would probably get along really well. Which also was a little bit concerning to me. But... Uh, but the one thing she said about Marx's preaching is that Marx is really honest when he preaches. And he does preach out of areas of weakness. And, um, and yeah, so that's got me stirred up to preach about weaknesses that I have in my life and areas in which God is, is moving and working. I have, I've got lots of weaknesses, yes. We'll talk about some of them today. Anyways, we are going to turn to the Word of God uh, out of 1 Corinthians Looking at the Apostle Paul again. 1 Corinthians 9. Looking at verse 24. It says this. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Yeah. Do you not know that in the race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Everyone here say, run to win. The Apostle Paul was a guy who understood about running to win, about living to win, about playing the game to win. Over and over again, we see through his epistles, we through, see through the book of Acts, that Paul was in it to win it. He was on a mission, and he was going to fulfill that mission with his dying breath. He was in it to win it. Now, for myself, growing up in Canada, as many of you know, 
I like to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it again without any apology. I loved hockey. <laughs> I grew up with hockey being by far the biggest thing in my life. Ice hockey, by the way, for those of you who are, you know, in Canada we play ice hockey uh, basically all year uh, because we have ice in various places all year. Uh, and I would, I would do everything I could to play hockey, to watch hockey, to referee hockey, score keep. Um, I just, I loved the game. I loved being in the environment of hockey. I loved being at the rink. When I was in school as a kid, I was always thinking about hockey. When I was drawing pictures in art class, I was drawing pictures of hockey players, right? Yeah. When I would memorize numbers, I would memorize them based on hockey players' numbers. And to, to, <laughs> to be honest, I still do that. Uh, that's, yeah. But I would, I would be totally enthralled with the game of hockey. And... I grew up, I played from a very early age competitive hockey, and I was actually a goalie. Now, goaltenders are a little bit different. They're a different kind of breed of player, and there's always a lot of pressure on goaltenders, right? One of the greatest goaltenders to ever live was a guy named Glenn Hall. He lived like 50 years ago. And he, he was, one of the things he was known for is how nervous he got before hockey games. He would consistently throw up before every game because he was so nervous. He was a professional hockey player in the NHL. He would throw up before every game. Often he would throw up between periods. He'd go into the dressing room. The team's winning the game. They made it like 3-1. And he goes to the bathroom and he throws up because he's so nervous. Because there's a lot of pressure on goaltenders. Goaltenders can win or lose a game for you. And I grew up in that environment, in a hockey town in Canada. And so I grew up with a lot of pressure on me. And I, I played with some pretty good hockey players in some pretty successful environments. And one of the things that was really tough for me as I played hockey was to play with the attitude to win. See, I played because I liked the game. I loved the game, actually. <laughs> I played because I enjoyed being with my teammates. They were my friends, so it was a good time being with friends. I played because I liked to hear people talk well of me. For the town that I was in, I played fairly well. I enjoyed that kind of attention. But in terms of actually winning the game, a drive to win, I didn't really have that until I got to high school. When I grew up, I had a very difficult time really wanting to win. One of the, the tournaments that really stands out to me in regard to this was when I was in seventh grade. And... My team made it to the provincial championships, so in American terms, that'd be like going to state. And so we went to the provincials just to, you know, because people don't know a lot about Canada. I mean, I, you know, you do, but 
Anyways, so the, the provincial championships, and our team was favored to win. We had won the provincial championships in the previous year when I was in sixth grade. And uh, so we go through the, the preliminary rounds, the round robin. We're, we're the favored team. We're winning all the games, and, and we're doing really well. We're winning them by, by more than a couple of goals. And so we're feeling fairly confident. And we get to the gold medal game for the provincial championships. When you're in seventh grade, this is it. This is like all there is in life, basically. <laughs> and, and we get, and we're playing, the team we play in the final is actually a team that we had beat 7 nothing in the preliminary round. So we're, we're feeling fairly confident going in. And as we're playing, we aren't playing with, with this competitive edge, this need to win, this desire to win. We're just kind of playing. And we end up losing the game four to two. So we go home with a silver medal. And yeah, it's terrible. And, and here's the thing. The thing is that after losing that game, I didn't feel bad about it. I didn't feel this loss. I didn't feel this, this big disappointment because I felt like I played okay. You know, I didn't feel like I let my teammates down. As a goalie, I didn't feel like I let in any really bad goals. And so we just, we lost. We got our silver medals. We went home. And for me, it was okay. And that, that pattern progressed for a few years of my minor hockey career, uh, which I valued highly. <laughs> the thing is that I liked playing the game because my friends were there. I got to spend time with my friends. I got the accolades and I got the... I got awards of different kinds for different things. I got to wear the team jacket, which is a big deal, right? <laughs> I got to be in the newspaper. Wow. I got to, you know, people at the hardware store in my town, they would, they would talk about me, you know? <laughs> it's true. It's good stuff. When you're a kid growing up in Canada, that, that's, that's big stuff. But here's the thing. With all of that in place, I did not have a drive or desire to win. I had all those things. I got to be with friends. People thought well of me. I got to be in, you know, in community, all that good stuff. But I didn't have the drive to win. And when God showed me that recently, when I started thinking about these things more, I thought, man, that actually looks a lot like the church in a lot of ways. Like we can show up in this place and we can have good friends. And we can have people think well of us for different things that we do. And we can wear the team jacket. We're part of New Philly. We're part of whatever church you're from here you know and 
and you can make the newspaper for, you know, for whatever it might be. But how often in the church do we just come and show up and just kind of slide by without that drive, that inner desire, that inner need to win? How often does that happen? How often do we show up to a prayer meeting just to show up? You know, and, and not really press in for the kingdom of God. How often do we show up to small group meetings and just show up because that's what we're supposed to do? How often do we show up to SBS or Bible studies just because that's what we're supposed to be doing and that's where we're supposed to be going? Are we really in it to win it? Are we really in it to win it? Are we running to win in everything that God's calling us to do? Do we have that drive and that desire for more? Or are we satisfied with where we're at? What God's laid on my heart for, for tonight is to talk a little bit about living victoriously and what it looks like and what it requires to live victoriously. Because you can't just you know, tell someone to have a victorious attitude. You can't just tell someone to live like a winner. You need some things that are in place before that actually happens, before you can actually be in that place with that drive and that desire to win. So the first thing that we're going to look at today, talk about in regard to what you need in order to live a truly victorious life. The first thing is that you need to know who you are. You really need to know who you are. And identity is something that we often talk about at New Philly. And something that's blessed me deeply. Uh, Many of us have read Pastor JM's list of identities. If you haven't, you should talk to him after and get a hold of it. Because it's, it's incredible stuff. But we need to know who we really are. Not the way the world sees us. Not the way that we even see ourselves as we look in the mirror. We need to see ourselves from heaven's perspective. We need to know what we look like from up there. If we don't see ourselves from heaven's perspective, we are not going to be able to live victorious lives. I guarantee it. You will not be able to. It's so important. For the the Apostle Paul, it was so important that people understood who they are. In Ephesians 1... He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order to know that you may know the hope to which he has called you, his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That second part there is a part that I think I misunderstood for so much of my life, that you may know his glorious inheritance in the saints. I always read that backwards, like we need to know our glorious inheritance in God. That's important, right? But what Paul's saying there is it's the reverse of that. He's saying you need revelation as to how God sees you. As the glorious inheritance that God sees in you. You need revelation in that. For real. Right now, the revelation that every one of you in this room has regarding how heaven sees you is not enough. You have a measure of it right now 
But God's calling you into more. We see dimly as in a mirror right now, but someday we will see face to face. God's increasing and desiring to increase the revelation of how God sees us, how heaven sees us, how the angels see us when they look at us. Because it's so much greater than what we realize. Our highest revelation of that right now is not enough. God's increasing it. God does not call us. He does not speak to us. He does not see us in the ways the earth sees us or how we see ourselves. I think of Gideon. You know the story of Gideon in Judges 6 where Gideon is he's doing some work. He's grinding grain in a wine press. He's threshing grain in a wine press because he's afraid of the Midianite army that's basically devoured the whole nation of Israel. And he's hiding in this, in this wine press doing this work and this angel appears to him. What does the angel say to him? He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's how heaven saw Gideon. What was Gideon doing? He was hiding in a wine press so that no one could see him do what he was doing. He needed to know how heaven saw him. And we need that in this place tonight. So the first, I'm just going to go through a few identities that actually aren't on JM's list. I was stretching myself. He's got like 35 of them or something, you know? So I wanted to stretch myself to see like what, what isn't there. So this is the first one. I, I really like this one. Is there a few ideas? JM might do an updated one later. Maybe. If, if, if he guesses. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Okay. Here's one. I am greater than John the Baptist. I like that one. You guys, you guys like that one? Jam, Jam, do you like that one? All right, okay, good. <laughs> Number 36. All right, turn to Matthew 11 quickly. When heaven sees you, heaven sees you as someone greater than John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11 says this. This is Jesus speaking. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That is an incredible passage of scripture. The one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Now, Jesus, what are you talking about? What does that actually mean? You know, greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was an incredible guy, right? He had an incredible ministry out in the desert. He was preaching and teaching in the wilderness. And all of the nation was flooding to hear him preach and teach. Jerusalem, all sorts of people from Jerusalem would come out to the wilderness and they would hear John the Baptist preach on the kingdom of God. And this message of repentance, it wasn't like a feel-good message, right? Like so often we like to hear in the church. It was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And all sorts of people were flooding to hear him preach and be baptized by him. John the Baptist was an incredible man. 
but and the, the greatest man up until that point, but the least person in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says here, is greater than him. Think about that for a second. Think about someone who you would consider to be weak in their faith as a Christian. Have, so, have someone in mind. It might be yourself. You know, Don't say it. Don't say anything out loud. Someone who is weak in their faith. Someone who you might think is kind of, kind of fragile in their faith. Someone who's young in their faith. Now, when heaven sees that person, heaven sees a person who is greater than John the Baptist. And if you take this further, or if this is helpful for you, greater than any of the great men or women of the Old Testament. Like you think King David. Greater than King David. I, Jesus tells me right here, he tells me, I am greater than King David. Well, Jesus, how is that? You know, he tells me I'm, I am greater than Moses. Tell you, everyone think of the greatest person in your mind in the Old Testament. John's on it. Everyone's got something in their minds? Greatest person. Your favorite person in the Old Testament. Now, on the count of three, I want you to say this. I am greater than blank. Whoever it is. Got it? One, two, three. I heard some Moses. I heard some David. Those, those are good ones. I mean, you got Elijah. You got all these people. You've got great women of faith. You've got Deborah. You know, you've got Esther. You've got Ruth. All these women. Jesus says that you are greater than that person. And what he means by this is that you are called to live on a higher level and a higher plane than those great men and women of old. There's a different, a totally different place in which he's calling you to operate. Thanks, John. He's calling you to operate on a totally different level. See, those people were part of what was called the old covenant. It was part of something different. It was part of something that was passing away. A covenant of laws and rules and regulations. And we, by the blood of Jesus, have been brought into what's been called the new covenant, which is a covenant of grace, and God has given us a new heart, and he's placed his Holy Spirit within us, which is, to me, maybe the greatest, one of the greatest mysteries of all time is that God actually lives inside of us. God lives inside of you. Now, now Pastor Marks and myself, we're, we're taking a class in the Holy Spirit. At, at Torch Trinity, the seminary that we study at these days. And we were talking about this uh, just the other day, about the Holy Spirit, what it means that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And the profound thing the professor concluded, and I love my professor, the, the profound thing is that she said that 
is actually Yahweh living inside of us. You guys get that? I mean, it might not sound profound. Maybe you've been there for a long time. But the creator God of the universe, Yahweh, lives inside of us. Now, for a Jewish person, that would sound like highly blasphemous. You know why? You can't even pronounce the name of Yahweh because it's so other. It is so beyond us, right? To pronounce his name would be to fear death, really. That's how they approach these things. That's how they perceive these things. And that other God, Yahweh, the creator God, lives inside of us. We all need to spend time meditating on that like every day. Like, what does it mean that God lives inside of us? He's taken up residence in me. Is there anything I can't do? Is there anything I should be afraid of? How can you be afraid when you have the understanding, the revelation that God himself lives inside of you and that he's for you? Yeah. Yahweh lives inside of you. This is who you are. This is how heaven sees you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That one's on Jam's list. I think it's number, uh, I forget what number it is. Anyways, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Yahweh lives inside of you. That's what heaven sees when it sees you. You are greater than John the Baptist and every other man who lived before him regardless of how close they were to God. You are called to live on a higher plane, a plane of the Spirit, because of your relationship with the Spirit. You are going to do things that those men only dreamed of. You are going to do things that those men only dreamed of. Amen. Greater than John the Baptist. second one I want to emphasize here right away is that you are, or I am, Holy and blameless. Everyone say that for me. I am holy and blameless. Say it like you mean it. I am holy and blameless. Okay. When heaven looks at you, when God looks at you, he does not see someone who has failed in the past multiple times. He does not look at your weaknesses. He does not have any concern for that or any regard for that. Bible says that as far as east is from the west, so far has he removed our sin from us. He sees us regardless of what we even did this morning or this afternoon or this evening. He looks at you and he sees holy and blameless. Because of the blood of Jesus. He sees the very righteousness of Jesus. Where we disqualify ourselves because of our failures, God has no regard for that. God has no regard for your failures, as if your failures are too much for God. He is not concerned in any way about your failures or your weaknesses or your shortcomings. He has no concern about that at all. He never thinks about that. He only sees you as holy and blameless, as righteous and pure and faultless. That's how he sees you, because of the blood of Jesus, because of what he has done for us. You might notice in the New Testament, when you look at Peter or the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle John, these different great men of the New Testament, especially guys like Peter and Paul, who were so, who messed up so many times 
before God filled them with the Spirit and commissioned them to go. God doesn't ever address them by their weaknesses or by their past failures. You know, when God speaks to Paul, he does not remind him of his past because God is not concerned about it. God's forgotten about it. God speaks to them in their strength. He speaks to them in their calling. He does not speak to any one of you in your weakness. He does not speak to you in your sin. He does not focus in on that. He focuses in on how on what he's actually called you to. He focuses in on who you really are. God has no regard for the sins of your past. You are holy and blameless right now until the day you die. You could mess up tomorrow really badly and God would still call you holy and blameless because it's not about you. Because you can't do anything now to make yourself not holy and blameless. Jesus did it all. He paid the price totally for every sin that you will ever commit in the rest of your life. You are holy and blameless and there's nothing you can do about it. You guys get that? Now you can remove yourself from God's presence in a sense by sinning. You can create a barrier that, you know, turning away from him. But God will always see you as in the righteousness of Jesus in regard to sin. He will always see you in that way. He's chosen you. He's predestined you. He's marked you. And that's how he'll always see you. Because of what Jesus has done for you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay. Holy and blameless. I'm going to look at one more. Quickly. Repeat after me. I am an overcomer. Yeah, 1 John 5 says this, that everyone born of God overcomes the world. That is your very nature as one born of God. Your very nature is to overcome the world. Now, last Sunday, Pastor Christian was talking about Mike Tyson, right? You guys remember that? And Chris Kim? And they were, they were going to be in a fight, Right? And it's the very nature of Mike Tyson to overcome Chris Kim and everyone else, right? That's his, that's his very nature. I may have used this example in the past, I'm not sure, but regarding a lion and a gazelle, I love lions. It's the very nature of a lion to overcome a gazelle. That's what a lion does. Could you imagine a lion being afraid of a gazelle and running away? But so often that's how we live our lives. We live our lives as if we're not overcomers. We live our lives as, that, as if we, we can't overcome sin. Or we can't overcome this issue in our workplace. God has, by the blood of Jesus, and by the calling and the predestining of God, he has called us to be overcomers in every area of our life. Victorious ones. Every one of you here is a victor, is more than a conqueror. That is who you are. God always sees you as a victorious one. When heaven looks at you, they see victorious one. When heaven looks at Myungwa, heaven sees victorious Myungwa. Victorious. In every way. 
We need a revelation of who we really are. If we want to live victorious lives, if we want to run to win, if we're really in it to win it, we've got to understand who we are. I could go on, but I'm going to stop with those identities. Second thing, to live victoriously, you need to know what your race is. If you want to run to win, you need to know the race marked out for you. Right? Hebrews 12 says it that way. It says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And it says, Fix your eyes on him. And it says, Run the race marked out for you. Not someone else's race the race marked out for you. You've got to know your race if you want to win. If you don't know the goal, if you don't know the end point, then you can't win. It's impossible for you to do that. You think of a, I'll use a different sport, like in basketball. Because Pastor Marcus loves basketball. So, just talk about basketball. And it's, it's March, so March Madness is coming up. For those of you who are concerned about that or interested. You can't win a basketball game if you don't know what the point of basketball is. If you don't know how to play the game. If you don't know what the goal of the game is. If you don't know that you need to get the ball in the hoop. Right? Then you can't win the game. You need to know what the goal of the game is. And that's, that's for all of us. We need to know what God has called us to if we intend to live life victoriously. And I see so often in the church so many people who don't know what they're called to in so many ways. And I think it's especially true in a place like Korea. So many people have come here, so many of you likely have come here because you didn't know what you wanted to do with your life. Because it's a season of transition. Because it's a bit of time off. It's a bit of time to travel. You need to know what God's called you to. If you want to run to win. There's this quote by John Eldridge has helped me. I'm going to share it with you in terms of thinking about what you're called to do. He says this. He says, when you're... When you're thinking about what you're supposed to do with your life, he says, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive. Because the world needs people who have come alive. Let's say that one more time so you get it. Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive. Because the world needs people who have come alive. That's what the world needs. To me, there's almost nothing more beautiful than seeing a person do something they were made to do. Than seeing a person do something, they, they were created to do that thing. And when I, when I hear Anna sing, Sister Anna here in the front row, It blesses me so much 
because she comes alive when she sings. Some of you know Brother Isaac, or Pastor Isaac, I should say it, at Ondidi. When he plays piano, if you guys have heard him play piano, he was, that's one of the things he was created to do, was play the piano. He's a musical genius, and he plays like no one I know. It's a beautiful thing to watch someone do what they were created to do, because they come alive. And it's a blessing to be a part of a church where one of our core values is to dream big. Isn't it good? That's something we encourage at this church. We want to propel people into their dreams by encouraging people to dream bigger than they've ever dreamt before. We need to know what makes us come alive and go for it. If we want to run to win, we need to keep pressing into that. What makes me come alive? And really go for it. You need to know your race if you want to win. On a different level, on one level, we have a lot of trouble understanding what our race might be. We're in a process of discerning that, finding that out, praying into that. But on a different level, I can tell you all what your race is right now. For each and every one of you, I can tell you something about the race that God has marked out for you. Do you want to know what it is? Yeah. Okay. It's this. God has called you to be conduits of revival in this nation and this city. Every one of you. You are all called to be conduits of revival, to be agents for revival in this city and in this nation. Do you believe that? Do you guys believe, do you really believe that? That that is part of the race that God has marked off for you, marked out for you. You are called, regardless of whether you're a Hagwan teacher or a student, regardless of whether you're a business person or you're unemployed right now, whatever it might be, God has called you to be an agent for revival in the city and this nation. You have been called to this nation for such a time as this. God has been waiting from eternity past, for this time, for this city, for this nation. He marked all of you out for it. He marked all of you off. He, he set you aside. Each person in this room, he set you aside from before time. He said, I want RC to be in Seoul, South Korea in the year 2011 because I have a mighty plan for him in this place. I have a mighty plan for him here. It is not a mistake. You are an agent for revival, for the kingdom of God coming here. You are one who is called to release heaven into the city and into this nation. That is what God has marked off for you. Every single one of you. It is not a mistake that one of you is here in this city and in this nation right now. And things are... The, the season we're living in right now is a season of birth pains. Things are happening. We're talking about Japan. We're talking about North Africa and the Middle East. This is a season of birth pains. Jesus is coming. The end is not far off. Or the return of Jesus is not far off. He's coming back. He's coming back and God has 
incredible plans, plans beyond our understanding for this city and for this nation, South and North Korea together as one nation, mind you. That's what we pray into in this church. And we believe it's coming soon. We need more and more revelation of that. Now, Eunice Coe, you've been called to this country, this city, for such a time as this. For such a time as this, it is not a mistake that you're here. If you want to live a victorious life, you've got to know the race marked out for you. And I guarantee you that's a big part of it right now. We cannot fall asleep as a church. We cannot slumber. We can't just go on with business as usual. We can't just show up at our job. We can't just show up at our church. You know, we can't just show up at prayer meetings or at small group meetings or at Bible studies. I mean, are we in it to win it or are we not? Here's the thing about this revelation. When you really understand who you are and you understand what God has called you to, when you, when you really get it, you'll be totally dissatisfied with anything less. To just show up at a meeting becomes repulsive to you. It becomes totally distasteful for you. Because you know that you've been made for so much more. So much more. When you see yourself the way heaven sees you, for who you actually are, you really are this way. When you get that, when there's revelation that it hits your heart, you cannot be satisfied with the status quo. You cannot be satisfied with mediocrity. You just can't. It's like, it's like a racehorse. If that racehorse, who's been bred to be a racehorse, that's its calling in life is to be a racehorse, to compete and contend and win. If that racehorse is never told or never taught or never has the revelation that it's a racehorse, then it might as well just be giving pony rides to little children. Just, just, just going in a circle, you know? If it doesn't have that revelation, it's going to be totally content in doing that. But once that racehorse is let loose, then it knows it knows it was created for more. It knows it was created for more. And beloved, my desire here tonight is to awaken, do something to stir up your spirits to know that we've been called to so much more. So much more. We cannot be satisfied with the status quo. We cannot be satisfied with just showing up to meetings. We can't be satisfied by, by not showing up at meetings. Yeah, I want to pray. Let's pray. Father, I praise you. I thank you, God, that you have set us up. You have set up your people for victory. You have done everything, God, to position us for victory. And now you're calling us into it to live victorious lives in every way. 
to wake up in the morning with a victorious mindset. To go to sleep at night with a victorious mindset. To go to work during the day with a victorious mindset. To come to church and to worship you and to pray with a victorious mindset, God. I pray right now that you would increase revelation across this room, God. Increase revelation. Teach us who we really are, God. Teach us who we really, really are. How you actually see us. With heaven looking down on us. How it sees us, God. Awaken your people, God. Help us to know that we are greater than John the Baptist. That we're called to live in higher places, God. In higher realms, God. With greater power. With greater authority, God. Yes, God, that we would know, God, that you've called us to do greater things than Jesus. And that as this revelation increases inside of us, that we'd be satisfied with nothing less, God. I pray a holy dissatisfaction to every person in this room right now. A holy dissatisfaction. A holy discontent. We'd be stirred up to more, God. We'd be stirred up to more. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Oh, and that this fire would increase and it would burn, God. It would increase through this week, through this weekend and beyond, God. Thank you, Father. Yeah, continue to teach us your heart for this city and for this nation, God. Teach us how your heart burns, God, for this city. How your heart burns for the church. How your heart burns for Itaewon, Father. Teach us your heart, God, that we would step into that. That we would live and operate from that place of your heart, God. Yeah, thank you, Father. I praise you, God. No more pony rides. No more pony rides. We're done with that, God. Lead us to more in every area of our lives, God. Thank you, Father. We love you, God. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.